Bismillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another episode of the Middle West podcast. I'm your host, Thaqib Musa. Uh, we're in Manchester today. I'm joined by my co-host, Abdul Samir. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi And we're joined um, by a very special guest, uh, ex-Lord Mayor of Manchester, uh, current MP for the Manchester-Gorton area, um, and mashallah tied into so many different uh, projects, including this one at Khizra Mosque, Afzal Khan MP. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Well, good to yeah. be here. It's good <laughs> to experience this. <laughs> yeah, um, we're uh, we're kind of a work in progress. We've got some video, some uh, mics, and we've had some technical issues this morning. Yeah, but um, it, all is good. All is good. And I think uh, all of us will be on our best behavior because of uh, the guest, esteemed guest. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, don't hold me. We, don't let me hold you back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're not going to be, uh, I hope, no more jokes, Thakib, about uh, uh, many things, but uh, that's fine. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Um, so uh, what we usually I want to hear your jokes. Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> we'll probably we'll probably get into it. Um, we've had a, we've had a few kind of um, people from politics. So we had Mohammed Amin on recently yes. um, uh, to talk about his experiences with the Conservative Party, um, as well as uh, definitions of Islamophobia and things like that. But we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, what we want to start off with um, is you were born in Jalam. Yep. Um, and you moved to the UK, and then. Through various things, you ended up as Lord Mayor of Manchester. So, uh, can you tell us a bit about your background? How how did it happen? When did you emigrate to the UK, and what kind of drove uh, drove you to kind of achieve what you did? Okay, well, uh, well you're right. I was born in Jhelum uh, at about age eleven or so. I came to the UK. I was adopted by my uncle, uh, so it's through adoption that I came to the UK. Uh, went to secondary school, missed part of that, and then at sixteen left school and usually make a joke. And that is, I left school with nine no levels. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even even uh, sit any exams, <laughs> never mind passing uh, any. I think, I think for reference, for, for all the young folks, uh, O levels were a thing back in the day. Yeah. Uh, do you know yeah. what O levels are? I, I know what O levels are. Yeah, just making sure. Cause just because just, just I was born outside, they make... Because uh, yeah. I, I did my GCSEs outside. Yeah, so. yeah. At the time, you had GCSEs as well and O levels. So the O levels was sort of old and GCSEs were coming in. Okay. Uh, so it's a measurement was uh, how many O levels have you done, <laughs> and you're expected to do about four or five at least, and I, and nine is good. Yeah. So yeah. when I said nine no levels, yeah, which is which is fair enough. <laughs> well, no, nobody can say you got bad grades because you didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then my first job was in a mill, cotton mill. Again, not many around these days. Uh, I did a few years on there, and then. Uh, Lots of other jobs. So this is around, what, 60s, 70s? No, I came here 71. Okay. Uh, so you're talking should, about... should have said 70s, 80s. Then I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that old, you know. <laughs> I've not seen a single white hair, so yeah. it's not old. Mashallah, 21 yet. Yeah, I then uh, did lots of different jobs. And this process of different jobs and studying, is which was a combination I did, uh, I realized after working about three years or so in the Smith & Nephew ML that actually I needed to do something more. I didn't want to spend my life uh, working in a mill. Uh, so that bit was easy. But the next bit, what you're going to do and how, and it's not mm. easy when you have nine no levels. Yeah. Uh, so my first conclusion was I actually need to study. So I studied as a mature student. Uh, so I used to work, uh, save up do one level and then the next level, keep going like that. I ended up doing about a dozen or so different jobs, uh, including police. So you were doing a degree part-time? 
Uh, no, I studied with, the, went back all to levels. O levels, A okay. levels, and, and yeah, then yeah. all the yeah, way up. Okay, yeah, yeah. I went through the whole process. Um, so from from nine no levels to oh, then I managed to get to nine level O levels. <laughs> 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 I did. Then I managed to get three A levels as well. And then I, I did uh, from police. It moved, took me next level to law. So I did a law in Manchester, and then I got a job in a law firm. I worked, qualified, and then became a partner in the same law firm. Uh, and then next change came, and that was basically politics. So you your A-levels, they were kind of standard, was it? Yeah, it was I basically more maths. Okay, so maths, physics, kind of that. Yeah, type. maths, physics, you got it right. <laughs> I did Urdu as well. Oh, nice. uh, I did further maths as well. Nice. So this this is very you're Typical. setting up to be an engineer. <laughs> yeah, very good. Were, were you always interested in politics or? No, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, my initial uh, idea was physics uh, because I wanted to be nuclear physicist. Okay, oh, nice. uh, and then basically from there, uh, I left and went into the police, and from police I did the law. Uh, from law it came to politics. So and you you were a police officer in the eighties. Yeah. Was this a was this a good time to, for for a brown guy to be in the police? Wasn't it? Very few at the time. Yeah, uh, but I think I was clear in my head that uh, we need to be involved with different sectors, you know, different parts of the work uh, areas, uh, and police was an important one in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, not many were involved. There was a whole issue of racism and yeah, racism yeah, in the police, etc. Because in the seventies, from what I'm told, that yeah, yeah, police yeah, were quite yeah. packy bashing, and that was still yeah, a, yeah, yeah. very much a thing. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I did about three years, uh, and if I'm honest, uh, I, it wasn't too bad, uh, okay. both from the public and within the institution. And I then conclude uh, that this is actually a complex subject, racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it operates in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And whilst there is from the other side, there is also your side. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that your side can make a difference as well. Yeah. Uh, you can help to prevent things as well. You can help to get on with things as well. You can turn the incidents into a positive incident. So it's how you react also has a bearing. Okay. So kind of don't don't let it bring you down, turn the other cheek. Okay. Um, I, I think if you are an open person and you are reaching out, you'll break those barriers. Okay. So people enough. may have uh, issues and concerns, and then they'll basically move to a level saying, oh, you are all right. Mm-hmm. Somehow others are not all right. The old, the you're real you're truth, one of the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The truth really is, yeah, it's you who just learned that I'm all right. Others are all right as well because... You've yeah. interacted with me. Okay. If you bother to interact with others, you'll yeah, find yeah, they're yeah. all right as well. <laughs> so it's these things as well. And then there's the subtleties that you can have. And I usually give an example from the police. Um, I used to have an officer. Now, he was a rude officer. And I often used to think, you know, when you pair up and do the work, I, I hate to meet this guy as, as a public. Because yeah? Yeah. he basically was rude. Mm-hmm. No, he was rude with everyone. And, and, and so, I guess so it wasn't if, a... if you come across him, you wouldn't know this side of him that actually he's bad. He's bad with everyone. <laughs> so, right. so he's not being bad with you because you're a black or you're yeah, a Muslim yeah. or you're a X, Y, Z. Yeah, he is bad. <laughs> but is it, isn't that 
kind of, I guess, a little bit of gaslighting slash deny, denying that the issue exists. Because there is a, there is, there are genuinely people who are, um, who are discriminatory in their attitude or something like that. Yeah, I've never said that it doesn't exist. I mean, right. I accept that. Yeah. I'm only trying to explain uh, how in those days when there was this rife, in yeah, a sense, yeah. and yet I didn't experience too much. So what is the explanation? Yeah. yeah, and and, I guess, and in that there is a le- there are lessons, yeah. and I yeah. guess most people are living day to day and and kind of uh, yeah. Do, do you think the Muslim community need to do more of um, kind of the the getting on with it, the integrating? Because, for example, like Cheatham Hill, um, or actually like uh, in Birmingham, we have quite a few areas which are possibly very high, high concentrations of Muslim population, and then a lot of the Muslims don't like to go out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. Uh, First of all, again, this is a complex in here, how it happens, uh, what is known as white flight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't happen that we just get concentrated. There is yeah. a sort of pattern where any immigrant community sort of goes through that you come in to a new pay area and then you will usually will come into an area which is a cheap area because your own financial circumstances are such. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then things start happening. And then there's the other side of it as well. For certain things to survive economically, there has to be a certain amount of those uh, shops and then with the shops, the people who will do the customers, for that, those shops to survive. So that sort of thing sort of plays into developing this sort of areas. And then there is the people who are, you know, others who already settled there, they may have been there longer and they start moving out, yeah? Uh, and, and there may be those who don't like that change, and then they move out. So this cumulative effect then concentrates uh, one particular community in one area. Yeah. Uh, so there is an explanation why it happens and how it happens, and we well, shouldn't treat it as though it somehow is bad. What key point I would say is how the institutions, the facilities, the governments are operating, making sure that there's a fairness across the board. There's fairness in providing opportunities, uh, and that discriminatory elements that we need to be focusing on, and that shouldn't take place. And we shouldn't be too hooked if there's a percentage more of one particular community here and one more here. So what? Yeah, I think it's one thing I personally felt uh, back in my parents' days, uh, back in the 80s and the, and, and the 70s, was that because of, like, for example, the, the levels of, of racism that did exist, or, um, uh, they kind of felt the need to kind of stick together, you know, the basic kind of thing of, you know, trying to be have yeah, safety. Yeah. And <coughs> as a result, it kind of uh, perhaps created the barriers to actually engage within the wider society, for example. Maybe one, of, one or two uh, were courageous enough to kind of, confront racism that, uh, people saying that you know I would engage in, in society I would get involved okay. and I don't really mind so the thing is do you sometimes feel like uh, this whole whole victimization is sometimes taken to a level too far whereby we stop ourselves from actually progressing as a community yeah well I think it's, it's important point is understanding this uh, complexity uh, and then knowing you know for example if you want a mosque institution to operate well it needs certain numbers mm-hmm. otherwise it's a mosque itself won't be viable yeah. If you want facilities where you can have a halal X, Y, Z, well, you need a certain number of customers. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect. And the other aspect is not to sort of uh, become, in a way, totally isolated, mm-hmm. uh, be aware of it, be more uh, confident, and do, do the outreach work. And mosques like Hizra Mosque, I think, do a brilliant job. Uh, if you look at their activities, 
it tells you that actually it is operating simply not a, just a place of worship, which primarily it is, but also the other needs of the community and the wider community. Because there has a community in this area in Chitamil, there are so many different nationalities living here. Mm. So if the mosque can become the center, uh, center of those activities, mm. center of those needs of that community, center where you can come together and explore those challenges which you may have, then in a way you're not being isolated. Yeah, You in a way then be using your assets, your resources mm. to bring people to you and mm. provide the answers and solutions which are there in the society. And so we need to be thinking deeply uh, as a Muslim community, what is it that we can do with our mosques? Because we've got about 2,000, and that's a big number. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, and that big number means we can do so much for the Muslim community to help them with the challenges which are there, with help them with the developing of the leadership as well, help them to reach out as well. But equally, we reach out to bring non-Muslims close to us through the institution with various opportunities that we get. Uh, and by more we open that, more the barriers will be broken and you won't end up what exactly goes on. You know, this person walks across this uh, through all the time, uh, but across the road but hasn't bothered crossing and looking actually, what is it? Once they come in, they realize, well... It's, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing unusual here, <laughs> fair enough, yeah? yeah. Or this bit they do quite well. Uh, this is really good. So yeah. they'll end up enriching themselves, yeah. which is great. Um, so with, with racism, I think there's, there's a couple of things that are happening recently. The first is with kind of as in the past 10 years, I guess, there's been an influx of Eastern European migrants. Um, a lot of Muslim communities are doing the same maybe sort of flight or we're trying to isolate ourselves and do you think there's a problem with racism within the Muslim community towards new immigrants? I think there is. Um, look, we're also human, aren't we? Uh, we're not uh, protected against this idea. Uh, but there are two important points to understand. I think one point is uh, usually racism does exist in different types of people, different uh, sectors, uh, communities, etc. But the most dangerous one is those who are in power. Because those who are in power actually can do the impact on the society far more than yeah. those who are not in a power. Yeah? yeah. So we need to be clear on that front that our energies need to be focused on those in power that they're not being racist. So yeah. I guess one of the examples of this is, you know, this whole uh, Duke of Duke and Duchess of Sussex debacle where the media has <laughs> been what a lot of people perceive to be quite racist. Um, and and what, what do you think about yeah. that? Uh, let me finish the point I was making. Sorry. Uh, uh, that's fine. Uh, and at that point, I think ultimately the other side is that doesn't mean it's a license for us or for anyone else to be racist. Mm. So as individual level we need to be able to actually be self-critical as well and to challenge it. Uh, I think one of the things uh, you will find is how do, say, Asian Muslims treat black Muslims? Yeah, that's right. Yeah? Uh, and why? I mean, if you look at the Islamic perspective, it's just not allowed. And if you look at the time of the Prophet when someone was... Uh, abusive to Sayyidina Bilal yeah. and how he was strongly rebuked, uh, told off by the Prophet 
and this guy then how he apologized yeah, you know? yeah. Father, yeah. even though he was a senior companion absolutely was... but how he then felt about it and how yep. he corrected himself and how he reached out to Bilal Zintala they're mm-hmm. all good examples that look these things can happen but really how we address this yeah. is important so yeah so in a nutshell my argument in here is that, yeah, first of all, there should be zero tolerance to any form of racism, any form of discrimination. And we should actually uh, focus our energies to make sure that the systems, the institutions, the governments actually are not operating so that because this reinforces this problem. And then wherever it's happening at individual level, we should challenge that as well. Mm-hmm. I think... I think uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, sorry. I was... Uh, I think there's two uh, two factors when it comes to uh, racism that kind of uh, is, is is something which is quite common. Uh, I think first and foremost, you see that people uh, often are not uh, are afraid of new things in generally generally speaking. So fear uh, the unknown, fear of the unknown. So when something new comes in, what do we do? Uh, do we go crazy? Uh, do we protect ourselves? What do we do? We don't know. Yeah. And I think that's when education, <coughs> as you mentioned, is, is is the perfect solution for that, where we kind of engage with each other, where we open our arms to each other as different communities and kind of get rid of that aspect of it. I think sometimes the, the second aspect of it is uh, often not related to uh, economy. Uh, and I think often migrants are used uh, as, as scapegoats for that. Whereas, for example, p- people are feeling like there are certain opportunities that are being taken away from them ever since these migrants have come over, for example, or or they feel the need to kind of, and I feel like it's the pol- a lot of the times politicians take take advantage of that, and especially when you look at the current climate. I guess kind of going back onto your own kind of personal uh, trajectory of like your, your career pro- progression, what kind of made you want to kind of go away from law and actually go into politics, um, and actually kind of wanting to kind of have this desire of you know working for 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 a more kind of positive change. Yeah. Um, so on the change point of view, uh, I suppose throughout my life, uh, the change in progression has been happening. Um, so when I was very young, I would say around 2021, 20, uh, this serious process of changing started happening in myself, inner self. Mm-hmm. You know, as the Quran says, you know, inner change has to happen before the exterior change happens. So I went through that phase. Uh, and then about 21, I think I was absolutely clear, uh, sort of, what is it? Uh, and the question fundamentally is, you know, we only have one life here on earth. And what is it that you want to achieve out of that life? It's, a, I think, a pretty serious question, which mm-hmm. each of us really should ask, because you have this life on earth. Yeah. So if you don't bother asking and you go through the whole life, you, I think you may have missed something here. <laughs> yeah? yeah. So that question, I think I went through. Uh, and then, in a way, I became clear that one thing actually I wasn't interested in is being a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So very young, I became clear on this idea that I don't want to be a millionaire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want a reasonable life. I want a good life. Uh, but then what I came down to is... I want to serve people. So that element actually was dominant in my life, that serving of the others is key. And that actually comes from my faith. And I always uh, share this, that there are two sort of jewels uh, from my faith which have actually driven me to this where I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one is, best among humanity are those who bring benefit to others. Yeah. Yeah, saying of the prophet. Yeah. Yeah. So... 
is bringing benefit to others. Other humanity is key. There's no discrimination in here, benefit to the Muslims or to one group or the other group. It's to the humanity idea. So that, I think, is quite a big idea, uh, serving the others. And the other one, is, which actually most people probably don't think too much about, but it's there, and what he said was that a person whose two days are the same is in a state of loss. Mm-hmm. This is a very powerful, actually, idea. And this then brings you to the second most fundamental point in life, and that is time. Time doesn't stop for anyone. Time actually is ticking yeah. away. Yeah. So if you are not in a constant progress of being aware of this idea and trying to improve yourself, trying to make most of that opportunity of the time, you are in a loss. So these are the two big things, actually, which has been the pillars in my life. I've constantly worked to serve others, and I've constantly tried to improve myself. And this has been then taking me from one to the other to the next. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, at the moment I'm a a shadow minister in foreign affairs. Uh, I've been a shadow minister for the Home Office for Immigration, I've been a vice president of uh, security and defense for the whole Europe. Now, these are lots of big things. Uh, And I never planned for these. Mm -hmm. It's not been the case that, oh, I want to be this. Yeah. I never planned to be an MP. And and you've, so I guess that comes, brings us back to when you left law and you joined, I believe it was the Labour Party. Yes. um, And... You mentioned that you were kind of you, you were an active part of the Labour Party. I've heard from a couple of other guys that um, actually, I think my father-in-law said he first met you when you were campaigning for Labour and he was campaigning for Respect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's possible because yeah. <laughs> I was in Labour long before Respect came along. Yeah. Um, so what what made you choose Labour? Because again, this yeah, is yeah, early yeah. '90s. This is when yeah. Blairism yeah. is starting. Yeah. I, um. I think there are two factors, really, okay. again, which sort of pulled me. Um, one was that I was involved with the Muslim community, uh, like I said, from almost when I was 21. Okay. So many of these organizations you may see around, uh, you'll see my hand somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, started with the UK Islamic Mission. Uh, yeah. I worked with them for many, many, many years. Uh, eight years I served as a vice president uh, nationally with them. Muslim Council of Britain. Uh, I was a founding member. I've been Assistant Secretary General. Young Muslim, I'm one of the founding members. I served in the Shura Islamic Society of Britain. Many other organizations you will see. Human Appeal International Charity. Yeah. I'm a founding trustee. So I've been engaged with the, that side of the community for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, but I was not engaged with politics. Mm. Uh, and... This is the key change, I think, that happened. I realized that politics is actually important. Many people say, oh, I'm not interested. And I find it astonishing, actually, of this statement. How can you say this when everything around you, yeah, is being controlled by politics? Yeah. Yeah. How can you say you're not interested? (laughs) Even if you're not interested, actually, they are influencing things. But I guess a lot of people say that, you know, politics is a dirty game and... You know, you're unable to uh, kind of say your say your opinion properly. I think. Well, if you're not saying it, well, you're not doing anything, are you? You're letting others say it. 
How well, can I guess, that be right? Yeah? I guess this, this brings me on nicely to, um, there's been a bit of a Twitter storm on your page in the past, I guess, week. Uh, about um, comments you made about, uh, I think it was It's Kate. not the first one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there'll probably be more. Yeah. Um, but I think that tweet is now gone. So you said human rights groups uh, at Liberty UK Cage, Muslim Council have voiced grave concerns over the prevent strategy. Yeah. And it's seriously misleading guidance. Yeah. And then uh, you said, to clarify, these yeah. organizations were described in the Metro as yeah. human rights groups. I don't endorse Cage. Yeah. Apologies for any confusion. Yeah. And then there's been a lot of there's I guess there's been you've been attacked from both sides. One that's right, that's right. Dissociating yeah. from Cage. Yeah. But then you've deleted the tweet or is it I don't think so. Okay. Uh um, I don't think it's deleted. Uh well look, first thing to say is uh I don't manage everything on my yeah, social media. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the one bit. The second bit about this controversy, uh I think the position is this. Uh, there are clearly different interests out there, uh, each betting for their own bet, yeah? Yeah. And what is important to me is not to get distracted. Yeah. You, what's important is to remain focused on your message. So the key message in that tweet was actually about prevent. Yeah. Not cage. Yeah. People may like cage, people may not like cage. So I wasn't interested in this distraction which was taking place with Cage. Yeah. Because my message was nothing to do with Cage, actually. It was to do and with Prevent. Yeah. I, I think most of the replies were actually that, why are you endorsing Cage? And then they Yeah, yeah, that's right. So for me, I felt, hold on, this is actually moving away from the center message, which I'm interested in. So how do I shut this down? Okay. Yeah. So this is part of the ways you shut things down. Uh, prevent is something which I'm interested in. I want to know what's happening. Uh, I've seen prevent from more or less day one, how it's been evolving and how it's been operating, what impact it's been having, what may be the possible pluses, what may be the negatives. And every opportunity I've had, I have spoken out on prevent. Mm -hmm. There are people who think prevent should be abolished altogether, and there are people who think prevent is the best thing after the slice of bread, you know, but look. I think uh, there are plus and minuses in mm. there. And what is important is for the government to focus and look at independently prevent uh, to see how much has it worked, what has been the pluses here, and what are the negatives. Because it's in everybody's interest that things work out. Uh, so I think that basically explains. And, and do you think prevent would have to be abolished completely or... Do you think well, my line is it may well be that it has to be abolished. But before you get to that, what is important is there is a proper independent review of the whole thing. And, and, and those who do the review, they must be independent as well. Don't bring yeah. in a biased mm. individual like I have objection to what has happened here. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then expect because one of the tactics in political games is you already know the result you want. You bring in the people uh, who will give you that result. Yeah. That is not independent. Yeah. That's not fair. It's not right. Uh, and, and this is where my objection on it, it is. Yeah. There's actually something, something I recently studied in, a, in university when it comes to evidence-based policymaking. 
So there's two types of uh, kind of going on about uh, trying to create evidence. The whole idea of evidence-based policymaking is that yeah. uh, you should base upon uh, your policies upon what actually works. But the thing is, uh, often or not, it's misconstrued and usually used as a political tool yeah. to generate the evidence because evidence is often not subjective yeah. or can yeah. be and subjective. Right. And that's exactly what's happened over here. And to be honest, the, the, the one question uh, which I wanted to ask you as well is that, I mean, you gave the example of people who, uh, especially from the Muslim community, when they kind of show their disinterest in politics, uh, they say, you know, there's no point of getting involved in politics. And uh, yeah. if you don't, the thing is, politics is, is life, essentially. It's, it's, what, it's what restricts your lifetime. It's, what, it's where all the rules are generated. It's where everything happens. And the thing is, so uh, myself and my background, I've, I've mentioned this in the podcast a million times in terms of I did my undergrad in engineering and yeah. I kind of now I'm going into policy work. I want to yeah. kind of uh, get more involved in, in, uh, into Good. politics, inshallah. And the reason, the main reason being was because I feel like when you look at Prevent, for example, yeah, uh, the fact that on the on, on the policy table itself, when it comes to where law where, where, where lawmakers are, there is not enough representat- representation of, of 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 Muslims, and there's not even uh, enough representation of people of BME background. So, do you mean that so, in the bureaucracy, or do you mean in the House of Commons and well, in, both, in, in, both. In everything and everything? The both hold actually yeah. both sides, both yeah. within the civil servants yeah. as well as within uh, within a, a parliament. Yeah. And I, I feel like, for example, if there was uh, enough representation back when, because uh, prevent was a, was a, the manifestation of the counterterrorism policy side of, uh, I think it was around in the, in the Labour government around two thousand seven or. Around that time was like the birth, I guess, of Prevent. And you just think that if, for example, we had the right people, like the, the people who are representing the communities properly uh, in those rooms, helping uh, these creating these policies, policies like Prevent wouldn't be what it is t- today. And perhaps, and perhaps, this is like a question I'm, I'm thinking to myself that maybe wow. by Muslims uh, by Muslims getting involved and by people of uh, of color getting involved, we could have actually influenced these kind of policies. So I feel like mm. so the, 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 the question to you would probably be like. Uh, what would be your answer to those people who do say, uh, you know, uh, we shouldn't get involved and why, and why we should get involved? The second question is kind of about your, 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 the, the backlash that you kind of uh, faced. So uh, naturally speaking, as you mentioned, that, you know, uh, there are people who are, who are going to kind of shut you down because they have their own interests in mind. So how do you make sure that you kind of fight, you know, plant those fires and carry on fighting for what you believe is, is, is right and what you believe is truth? Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. Sorry, so loaded. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing I do. I I I, I ask so many like yeah, lo- loaded fine. questions. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah, probably half of it I'll forget, but I'll do what I can. Okay, you that's can fine. bring me back again. Feel free. That's fine. So the first point I think is: look, if you're not playing football, you're not going to score a goal. It doesn't matter how good you are. So just talking from outside actually is not helpful. Just being an armchair critic doesn't actually help anything. So being engaged is the only choice we have. The next bit with the being engaged is don't get too critical of your brother or sister. This husne zan idea, thinking good wishes for others, is actually very important. Because you don't understand fully the complexities of the game, someone who's playing. <clears throat> it's all right to say, hit the six. But when yeah. you've got a good bowler hit, throwing the ball, it's not easy to hit a six. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> so those who are in the game, mm. they actually know better. You're just outside trying to think you can do something better. It's only when you get into it, mm-hmm. then you realize after five years, actually, that person wasn't that bad. Yeah. There are other complexities here. 
Uh, and the next point is, even when you get into politics and you're in there, you are sort of one piece. And there are many other pieces in there. And they also have their interests. So it's a long game in that sense as well. And the third point I would make here is, don't be too quick to judge things. People will get things wrong as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And if you start cutting them down, they will not grow. So when even they make mistake, take it easy. Help them. Yeah? Uh, so I think these are a few of the things. And the other mistake we often make is... Um, it's the classic sort of stuff you probably have come across as well. You know, between a reality, a life, and an ideal, there's always a gap. So don't, again, expect someone to be an ideal. Mm. Accept human. And even accept the idea that even in Kiyama, it's going to be a maths. If you score 51%, you'll be a pass. Don't mm. try to expect 100%. So why are you expecting it in the, this life? But I guess this is the thing with um, an element of accountability, I guess. And a lot of people feel that... So, for example, um, I think you, you're in a very, uh, I think, good position in that you are already a front-bencher yeah. uh, MP. Um, and I guess that's one of the questions is, did you feel kind of less pressure but more helpless as a as a backbencher? A lot of people say that actually one of the reasons why... They don't want to go into politics and go directly through to MPs because as a backbencher, even though you're there, even though you have a seat in the House of Commons, actually, there's not that much you can do. Um, and do you think that changed drastically uh, when you okay. became a frontbencher? I think it's a plus or minus. Uh, at the heart of it is who you are and what is it that you want to do. Uh, whilst there may be limitations both as a backbencher and as a frontbencher, and there may be different limitations. But there's so many other things you can do. So you can do those things. So let me give you an example, which is irrelevant whether I'm a backbencher or a frontbencher. Okay. Uh, so, for example, I ran uh, last year a leadership course for young people. Uh, I then selected some young people, took them through to give them an good understanding how city ticks. Okay. And gave them access to top leadership in Manchester City. Took them to ITV headquarters, gave them access to top people who make news to see the back side of the news. You know, we all see the front side yeah. of the news. Mm-hmm. But what is the back side? How news is actually done? How is yeah. it made? Where it, how it takes to give them that understanding. I took them to the trade unions to show how the trade union actually works in this society. I took them to the Supreme Court London, gave them access to a Supreme Court judge to talk them through justice system, how it's operating. Then I took them to the parliament, gave them access to the prime ministers, to Jeremy Corbyn, John MacDonald, the top leadership in politically in the here, and the Labour Party as well. Uh, to ask questions to them, to see, you know, how decisions are being made when these challenges they face. How do they do it? Yeah, uh, project for them to do as well. So it went through all that. Now, 
this has got nothing to do with me being a front bench or back bench. I could do this. Yes, my passion. I want to develop leadership. I understand the importance of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So this is an example how you can make a difference. There are many other things happen. Uh, MCB, for example, they have many challenges, and they have many challenges with politically. Now, opening some of those doors is a role which helps. There are many our other charities, you know, who do charity work, and they face various difficulties. Now, again, opening those doors. So it's not simply just at the front ideas. There are side ideas which can be done as well, and there are also a lot of help there for you as well. And how do you value when a young Muslim sees a Muslim on the front bench? The role model idea. Yeah. It's an amazing power, actually. Uh, amazing way of inspiring young people. You can't even put a value on it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, how do you? If you're not there, how are you going to provide that role models? Yeah. To uh, uh, make sure they get this confidence that yes, one of us from our community is there. Yeah. yeah? I guess. I guess. I can be there as well. Yeah. And then you won't get to a position where a teacher says, "Oh, I don't think you can do it." Because they won't listen to the teacher then in that sense. You can, yeah. There's whole evidence where sort of teachers sort of underplay some of the BME communities. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't give them enough encouragement to aim high. Yeah? But if they can see themselves, people high from their own background, then it doesn't matter about the teacher. Mm-hmm. They can themselves observe that. And that is a, you cannot put a value, like I said. You know, it's so, so powerful. So I guess one of the questions is that now that, I mean, you're in a, senior position in the in the Labour Party. One of the things that I guess your pre- previous MP did, um, I think it was Gerald Kaufman, the, the late MP of, of your uh, yeah. uh, constituency, he was very vocal about his criticism of, for example, Israeli human rights abuses. And what we're seeing with the Labour leadership debate now is that all of the leaders seem to be um, <clears throat> kind of pandering to those pro-Israel lobbies. Uh, do you think this is... A, firstly, do you think this is happening in the Labour Party? And do you think there's starting, a, especially in the leadership debates, there's starting to be a kind of a, a lean towards that? And what, what do you think your position is going to be? Do you think you'll be able to be as uh, vocal and outspoken as uh, as Gerald was? Um, no, first of all, I'd say Gerald was a pretty amazing MP uh, and he did really well. Yeah. 47 years is a long time. He ended up being a father of the house. Yeah, That's great. Uh, on the question of uh, Israel and Palestine, I think let me widen it, widen it up a little bit uh, and say this, that there are many places in the world where there's real human rights abuses taking place. And irrespective which part of the world it is, we should have the guts to stand up and say all humans are equal. There should not be any human rights abuses taking place. And then the second is the reality checkpoint, uh, and that is, the truth is, the world is not a fair place. There are countries who get away with more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those who are good, decent people, whatever background they may have, whatever faith they may have, uh, they will stand up, and you will see that this will carry on happening, whether it's Israel's abusing of the Palestinians or whether that is in the Rohingya or whether it's Kashmir, whether it's happening in Yemen. There are stuff, you know, which is not nice what's happening and we should speak out. 
I will always do that. I have not come into power or the politics so that I am there for that reason. My whole reason of being is to serve. So I actually don't care whether I'm an MP. I don't care if I'm a shadow front bench or a minister. But what I do care is serving. And I will do that. But do you and think I've done are... it in the past. You... I've done it as a European member of parliament. I had people criticizing me then as well. I have people criticizing me now. I'm anti-Semitic and all that stuff. Look, it's not true. I'm not. I've got nothing against Jewish community. I, in fact, have done so much work bridging between the Muslim and the Jewish community because I think they are, uh, we share so much with one another. But I have a difference with the Israeli government. I don't agree with what the Israeli government is doing to Palestinians. Yeah. So there's no compromise guess in that sense. That's the point you made about double standards. So, for example, right now, it seems uh, a lot of governments are reluctant to criticize China on Uyghur stuff, but they're happy to do something else. There's a lot of governments that are happy to criticize Myanmar on the Rohingya <coughs> community. Um, and even a lot of a lot of left-wing leaning people who won't criticize Assad uh, for, for his human rights abuses, but they're happy to go after uh, American hegemony. Or All I can tell you is... I've criticized India and Kashmir. I've criticized China and the Uyghurs. I've criticized Israel and the Palestinians. I've criticized the Saudis and UAEs and Yemen. And I've criticized Assad and his, even his father uh, in mm-hmm. Syria. So uh, my so track record speaks for itself. We need, we, need to, uh, we need to kind of, I guess, do it with all of them. I guess this is, um, this is the next question coming to the Labour Party, which is, um, I, we, we mentioned this a little bit about their... Um, in, in the 80s, there was a lot of racism. Um, but nowadays, we feel there's a different sort of, you can say, a reincarnation, a reigniting of xenophobia, racism. And I mean, Labour Party did really bad in the in the last elections. Do you think that played a factor um, in, in what's happening? What, what do you think is fueling Brexit? Or was it just that Labour Party didn't have a good enough Brexit position? Do you think the immigration factor... Which you are the kind of part of the shadow cabinet for? Um, do you think that was key in swinging this election towards the Tories? I think first of all, it's been a bad election for us, and I think not only bad for the Labour Party, but I think also for Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Labour policies were pretty good. In fact, they were too good, and we paid the price. I would sum it up like this. What do you mean by too good? Yeah, I'll sum it up now. Okay. Because it's a complex subject. I could spend mm-hmm. a whole hour on talking about why the result has been like what it is. That I'll just say, look, it's been a bad result. And it's not good for the Labour Party. It's not good for Britain. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are the three big lessons, which probably covers the 80% of what went wrong? And they are basically Brexit. Uh, there are policies. And there's Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, Brexit, I think, is probably the biggest. Uh, People were fed up. Three and a half years of uncertainty. Things are not going anywhere. And the Tory party had a very good, simple message. It's already baked. It's ready to serve. We were offering a complex idea, saying we'll get a better deal. We'll give it to the people. It's for you to decide whether to stay or to leave. And people thought we've had enough of this three and a half years. Uh, we don't want this circle starting again. So basically, they didn't buy it. 
Yeah. Sad. Uh, I think our offer was actually better for the country. But we have to respect the decision of the people. So that's the big one. Then I think it's the policy and Jeremy Corbyn, the other two big ones. Uh, the policies, I think if you look at all the policies the offer Labour made, every one of them has got merit. Makes mm-hmm. sense. They're worth something, actually. They would make better for life in, for the people. But together, it was so good, the people actually doubted that it's possible. Okay. So the credibility came into question rather than the policies. Uh, and then the third is Jeremy Coburn. And the Jeremy Coburn point, again, is I believe he is a good person, actually. He's got good values. He cares for the humanity. He cares for the British people. He wants a more fair society. He wants to see a peaceful world. All of these values, actually, nobody can disagree with. Any decent person will give ticks for this. Mm -hmm. But the problem I think he faced is that we have such a powerful media and combined with the powerful vested interests, and they all came together because he, I think the mistake he made is he challenged the whole thing in one go. Uh, and the whole thing then came together to bring him down. And the power of the media and such a small number of hands actually helped to portray uh, a sad place for us in Britain that a good person who would you look at if you break it down would get ticks, yeah? was projected as a bad person and a proven bad person was given tick as a good person. And that actually is bad for the society. When you cut down good, decent people, then you'll be left with bad people standing. And that's never good for the society. Do, do you think and this is where a... we ended up with these three things, hitting Labour Party with the result we have of this government. And I think things will get worse for most people. Do you think there was a personal problem do you think that maybe Corbyn should have stepped aside and let someone who was I guess better for the cameras less easy to attack take over well with hindsight everything is good looks good you know Mm. Uh, but if you think about it from his perspective someone who's been very sincere to what he stands for for so long in all his life and the guy had uh, two mandates more powerful than even Tony Blair had uh, from the members Mm -hmm. why should he stand back Uh, the now you can say, well, it would have been better. It would have been less punishing for himself. I mean, I, I actually sit back and think, you know, uh, what an incredible person he is. That the punishment he took throughout this period is incredible. So many times I worried about him, you know, as a one individual taking so much. How much can he take? Do, do you, Did you guys see it coming, like the, the election loss? Or? Um, for me personally... Uh, I suppose uh, I didn't see it coming so badly. Okay. What I saw was a possible hung parliament or a small majority for the Conservative Party. So I saw that as the result. And, but not such an overwhelming majority? No, no. Mm-hmm. And I think at the heart of it, again, if you analyze it, probably what has happened is there was a large undecided coming through throughout the election. And for me, the wishful probably thinking this is where it was, saying that oh, they can't fall on the Boris side because he's a proven liar, you know, he's just yeah. not yeah. there's so much against him, yeah. But, Whereas on the other side you have a Jeremy Corbyn, whatever they may say about him, the truth is he just cares about people, he cares for fairness, he cares for peace, and that everybody likes. Mm. So ultimately I felt that people would fall on this side. 
Yes. And what so, we saw on the election day is no, actually, they fell on the other yeah. side. Well, and, well, and we have the result we have. What we're seeing with the leadership election, I guess there was a few things in Labour as well that, like Tom Watson stepping down, people said the inside of the party was very kind of strong apart. There's, there there's a, been issues. Uh, and, and, and this goes back to the results. When he was elected, after nine months after that, he was basically being challenged when he wasn't even given a fair chance. You know, when you're elected with a mandate, you party should line up behind you. They should say, right, we've had our democratic process, we've costed our vote, we may have not given you the vote, but you have won. Mm -hmm. We will now put all our energies behind you to make sure you succeed. And what we saw was many of the uh, Labour MPs not doing that. Many of the senior people in the Labour Party saying, oh, we're not going to serve under you. How loyal are you to the party? Never mind Jeremy, irrelevant. Yeah. You know, Jeremy put himself forward, members chose him. Another thing which was quite interesting about this election, and you said, as you said, the three kind of points, uh, I think Brexit probably was like the biggest uh, overarching thing. And some people, some people were saying that, for example, uh, especially up north, uh, when you look at uh, Labour Heartland, uh, where it's always been a stronghold, uh, where those, even th those uh, constituencies voted for Conservatives, a lot of people have described them as kind of borrowed votes, as in just for this kind of because borrowed, it, because yes. because it was the the Brexit uh, election. It wasn't necessarily a, a typical general election. It's like if there was to be another general election, then these same people will then vote for Labour again. Uh, it was just because of the fact that uh, Labour didn't have it. So, I guess the question is, uh, in your opinion, what is the future of the Labour Party, for example, uh, in terms of the direction? Do you think it's going to kind of under Corbyn, it took a, a drastic shift uh, towards the left, uh, especially considering you know how uh, Tony Blair took it slightly more <coughs> centre. So, do you see it going back to that centre? Do you think it's going to stay left, or uh, so? What's on? Uh, what's your take on that? Basically, yeah, yeah. Well, my take on it is fundamentally: look, uh, Labour Party is a party which actually came into existence to be in power. So, we need to look at. Uh, how do we make sure we come into power? Uh, and we are here for a purpose when you're in power, and we should deliver on those. Yeah. Uh, now, this idea of moving more to the left, more to the center or to the right, etc., I think that does fluctuate. Uh, it's no big deal. As uh, long as your core values uh, you remain sincere to, mm -hmm. Uh, you should adjust yourself to be more successful. Like I said, you know, the purpose is to get to power. Otherwise, why are you here? You're not here to, for protesting. Mm -hmm. yeah? uh, and I think our, the leadership we're going to get uh, will do their best. I think it's an important time for labor uh, is to learn. We must learn, you know, why people did not give their trust to us. And we need to adjust ourselves. And we need to bring unity in our ranks. And I feel this election actually will provide that. We're already seeing now that actually we're moving in the sort of right direction. Uh, I think the leadership we'll get will strengthen the party. We already, as a party, are very powerful, actually. Conservative Party can't match us. We are the biggest political force in Europe. There's no political party bigger than us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once that whole force lines up in the same direction and then turns as a machine, conservatives can't hold on. We will take the power from them. yeah. And once we take that power, 
will make a difference and will then be linked more close to the people so they trust us so i think it's a good opportunity for us now to take good stock of ourselves pick ourselves up go forward and take the power at the next election i think so, we can do it i think you've supported Keir Starmer quite publicly you also nominated Emily Thornberry yeah. a lot of corbynites are actually going and supporting Rebecca Long Bailey yes so what what is your why i've done all that yeah. <laughs> well, well, well the question is who do you uh, yeah is, is it well, too cheeky to ask well for first of all for me uh, all candidates are labor candidates so i don't uh, care too much like that uh, what i needed to do was go through the process and see if one for myself who i think can deliver this victory which we need for me delivering victory is probably the number one thing now we had four defeats we can't keep on having defeats yeah. mm-hmm. my second point which was important to me was that the members like i said you know we have a, such a large political force they have a good choice so i listened very carefully to every single one of the leadership candidates uh observed them in hosting observed them in their videos observed them under interviews etc and i went through scientifically actually myself to eliminate uh, and then come with what i'm left with and that person was keir starmer he basically takes more than others he's more per finished product i think but then i nominated emily and the the reasoning behind that was simply to give members a more choice and i felt emily has individual again has got a long track record she is probably the most experienced woman candidate we have for her not to go through to the next round would actually won't be right won't be fair so this question of fairness which was driving me then so i then lent my vote i was the 22nd which was the she requiring line yeah. <laughs> to cross her over mm-hmm. uh, for this reason so that we end up with a good choice for members so they can then listen to the member these candidates and then basically cast their vote uh, so for the choice uh, diversity i did that uh, but when i did it i made it clear that actually my personal choice is kes tamer Okay, mm-hmm. speaking about diversity, um I guess I I think actually you're not eligible to be prime minister because you weren't born in the UK. I don't, I don't I think I think that's a rule, I don't know. But uh, no, I, no, I, I think I think you can I think I think if you're a Catholic you're not. Oh right. So yeah, being a Muslim is not a problem. Okay. <laughs> even not, even not, with the king I think yeah, there's an issue. Not, not for you personally. Okay, <laughs> I think you're getting confused with America. Yeah. Oh, in America you have to be born in anyways. Um I I don't know, I just remember. Anyway, uh, well, look, the, first of all I'm not running to be a prime minister. The key question the key question was not about you. I think when do you think Britain and and when do you think if ever the UK will actually be ready for a for a brown brown yeah, yeah, yeah. prime minister look uh, it's difficult to predict uh, this is the honest answer uh, but look to say can it happen the answer has to be yes uh, and the reason is uh, lisa is now running to be the leader of the labor party sajid javed ran to be the leader of conservative party But I guess we a, have a lot people, of people say that the people who the people who go down kind of this route especially on the on a muslim level they're people who've completely kind of given up out. anything or yeah completely sold out. Again we need to be careful uh, making these judgmental uh, sort of statements uh, who is successful uh, Allah knows best and where one ends Allah knows best yeah. 
for me, I think it's possible. Uh, whether it will happen in my lifetime or my children's lifetime, I don't know. Uh, politics mm-hmm. is a funny game. You don't know what's around the corner. Uh, all you need is ultimately, if we have a leader who is uh, from a color background in Conservative Party or in the Labour Party, the chances are pretty good to be the Prime Minister. That's where the uh, route is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, another question, kind of going away from some of the Labour work, but more specifically to your work that you've done as a parliamentarian uh, within the APPG uh, for British Muslims. Uh, I guess first and foremost, just maybe just give a bit of introduction uh, for, for for those people who are unaware of what the APPG is and uh, some of the achievements that you guys have done, specifically on uh, the definition uh, of Islamophobia. And what are your thoughts on it as well, yeah, personally? Yeah. Well, the APPG is basically a system which operates as an organize, different organizations of MPs coming together of their interests. And we have one which is for the British Muslims. So they do some great work. And one of the things we realized was over the last decade or so, this increase of Islamophobia. It's been around for a long, long time, but there's been an increase which has been happening. So what is it that we do? And we then concluded that actually we need to have a definition because if you don't have a definition, then how do you actually measure it? Because you can't be all over the show. And then we did a lot of good work with some good experts, you know, uh, both in the uh, academic field point of view, from legal field point of view as well, and from the Muslim community themselves as well. And then we came up with a definition which we thought needs to be fairly simple. It doesn't cover everything, but that's fine. As long as you cover 90 plus, I think it's usually good enough as far as I'm concerned. As you, I hope you gathered that I'm not someone who goes for perfection. I'm always happy with the good as well. Uh, so we got that. Because there's uh, still people who criticize it and say that it's do. too similar. Yeah, to I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, look, uh, I think, does it cover us for 90%? And if it does, great. Yeah? Because there's no perfection. Because whatever definition you'll come up with, there'll be someone will not be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Muslims are also so diverse, yeah, in so many different ways. Again, it makes it that difficulty more. Um, so we've made a good progress on it. Uh, almost all the political parties have actually accepted the definition. And almost about 800 to 900 organizations have accepted this as well. Overwhelming number of Muslims have also accepted the definition as well. So let's try to line up behind it. Mm-hmm. So people like Brother Amin, etc., they have issues with it. And I say to them, look, forget it. Yeah, we've looked at your arguments. Yeah, but together we came with some answer. Let's line up now behind that. Almost taking you back to Jeremy Corbyn's idea. Look, you may have had it, you may not have voted it, but you got that. Let's go forward. So going forward, basically, the issue really is the government. And the government, I think the real, I'm being very straightforward. I think government's problem is that they have a huge problem with Islamophobia within their own ranks. And not only within their own ranks, but within their leadership. So they are dragging their feet because they know it means trouble for themselves. And I think uh, they shouldn't look for easy way. They should actually look for the right way if they're a proper government. Yeah? And at the moment, what they're trying to do is look for an easy way out of this problem. They know there's a problem. It's not that they don't know. Yeah. But what they're trying to do is find an easy way instead of trying to go for the correct way. And we should actually line up uh, as a Muslim community. We should build alliances with others as well. And we should really push through this definition. 
And then I think it will go a long way dealing with the problem that we're facing. It's just not acceptable, you know. Many of our young people whose futures are lying ahead of them having to face this discrimination. It is not fair. It's not fair for the country that you're basically not making most of all the talent that you have. So in all sorts of different reasons, good, decent people need to line up behind this and really pile the pressure on the government that they buckle and they accept this and then we move forward for a for a better society, which again, I think would be good. I guess I have a closing question for you, which is what advice do you give to Muslim youth, especially, but also Muslim communities, organizations, um, uh, especially in this kind of environment of rising Islamophobia, rising xenophobia, the far right seems to be getting stronger. We've just voted in a president, uh, sorry, a prime minister, uh, who I'm getting confused with America again. It's because you're American, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, we've just We've just voted in a prime minister who calls niqabis uh, that they look like letterboxes. So a lot of people are feeling very kind of disenfranchised with the whole political system. Um, I've even spoken to some people um, who say uh, that um, they should make hijrah and they should move to a different country. And, you know, it's time to go back to Pakistan. <laughs> well, look, my answer is uh, that uh, we actually need to be strong. And we need to look outward, not inward. And we need to work even harder now uh, to build alliances. Yeah? Uh, Britain is a great country with uh, great opportunities. You've got an individual sitting in front of you who came to this country, who was adopted, who had not had a single pound in my pocket. I am the only Muslim in the world who has served in the European Parliament in the front bench, and I'm serving now in the British Parliament on the front bench. So, so much progress I was able to make. So that possibility is there for all our young people. You know, if I came to this country with very little of knowledge, money, family background and all that, if I can make so much progress, they can do better than that. And the question we were saying, they can be the prime minister in this country. And that requires for us to look outward. Yeah? It requires to aim high. It requires for us to work hard. That's what we need to do. We can actually make Britain an even better place. And where we can tighten the grip on this by uh, those who are racist, those who have a narrow mind, those who are backward, pushing them away, really or even helping them to open up to understand. That is our job. Let's get on with it. I, I nearly thought you said make Britain great again. I think it's greater than it, than it ever was before. So it's, uh, it's greater than empire is. For we, sure. we welcome you, Thakib. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, we really appreciate your time. Um, people can find you on Twitter at, at uh, Afzal for Gorton. Yeah. Um, are there any other channels, avenues? Well, I have a Facebook page as well. Uh, I would love people to be engaged to help. And if anybody is interested in politics, I'm more than happy to meet them, more than happy to help them, guide them, advise them. Uh, like I said, I run different opportunities, both in my office. I try to take young people on for a short period. Just say, come and have experience to give you a flavor. Uh, and then uh, guiding. I do lots of people. I guide people who are sort of thinking of progressing. Does that mean you'll give me a job? <laughs> I didn't make an offer of job yet. <laughs> if you're good enough, you'll get a job. <laughs> no discrimination, all right? Thakir's got this long-running joke that apparently I'm, an, uh, I'm an, uh, unemployed, basically. And, which is and unemployable. Um, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> um, you can follow... Um, well, we'll discuss... Actually, last episode, we were talking about um, Assad and how he's... a. Uh, He's also unemployable um, in that Syria legal <laughs> development project uh, episode. Um, but thank you very much again uh, for your time. Uh, people can follow us on uh, at the Middle West PC, 
um, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we you can also email us on middlewestpc at gmail dot com. We're always looking for feedback, um, and we do Indeed. act on it. A lot of the questions that actually we ask uh, are actually sent in by uh, by listeners. Um, so we really appreciate that. And you can listen to us on Pocket Cast, Spotify, YouTube, um, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Even in your dreams, just close your eyes and um, hear us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.